Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you food lovers. You've tuned in to the best culinary conversation on the radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen, and the delicious conversation starts right here and right now. I welcome you to my kitchen. Whether you love to cook or just love to eat, maybe you like to dish on food and wine, health, tech, and travel, well, we celebrate all things delicious on this show. I'm heating it up in your radio every Sunday with grand guests and gastronomic inspiration to make your dishes come alive with flavor. So I hope that you will take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned. Every food topic is on the table here, but you can find me serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. You'll find chef's tips, recipes, videos, cocktails, and more to make every day scrumptious. And we do have a full plate this hour. Coming up, Patricia Wells is visiting live from Paris as she talks about her new cookbook, My Master Recipes. Also, we will take a trip and visit the Yucatan Peninsula and the beautifully delicious culinary progress happening there. Before the end of the hour, we'll have you entertaining in style as well. So please don't touch your dial. We will kick off today's show, though, with an admission of guilt. My name is Jamie, and I love my blender. Now repeat after me. My name is, and I love my blender. At the start of every show, I like to share a culinary insight and bring you into my culinary realm. And I'm about to convince you that you are just not using your blender enough. You see, I've been preaching appliances for years. I really don't think that we utilize the high-powered tools in our kitchens often enough at all. If you let them do the work for you, you will get beautiful viscosity, great texture, and a far easier day out of it. If you're all smoothied out and you're wondering, is my blender good for anything else? Well, then I have some tasty ideas for you to try. We all have kitchen equipment that sits unused at the back of the cupboard, but your blender needn't be one of those. Cocktails for a night in with friends, soup for a quick healthy lunch or dinner, dips for party nibbles, they can all be yours at the touch of a button. And with that said, let's take a moment, shall we, to reflect the ghosts of Blender's past. They didn't do much but simply puree. Today, though, you can crush ice. You can blend a tire if you wanted. You can even heat and whiz a homemade soup at the same time with the beauty of a blender. Did you know that your blender will do everything from mix pancake batter to falafel? And the question is, will it blend? Well, firstly, you don't need to be a mixologist to whip up a boozy blend. And this is the start of good ideas for your blender. If you're hosting a shindig or feeding a crowd, you can blitz some cocktails in a blender and it's ideal. 
you whiz up a batch in bulk. You leave yourself plenty of time for catching up and chilling out. I happen to love a frozen strawberry margarita or a Bellini granita. Both are super speedy and they're sure to impress. And then when you've tried those, you get adventurous with your own creative concoctions. An easy way to make sure your pancakes are perfect and totally lump free is to enlist the help of your blender. If you haven't thought of it before, you might treat yourself to something special like homemade peanut butter straight from your blender. If you have a heavy duty, hardcore blender, which I do, and I love mine, those delicious spreads are really easy to make and they're a great option for vegans who are looking for something that's totally indulgent and freshly made. And you can blend the nut butters to your desired consistency. You can flavor it how you like it and then just keep it in the fridge. I happen to make Nutella in minutes. That sounds good right about now, right? And moving on, because the blender has so many possibilities. If you want a silky smooth soup, you might reach for your immersion blender. I reach for my actual countertop blender because once you've whizzed one, you will wonder how you ever managed before. I love like a brown butter cauliflower soup, let's say, whizzed in the blender for three or four minutes because again, we're not running our appliances enough. There is the most beautiful coat your mouth with velvet wallpaper texture that comes from running your blender and your soups will really be made brand new. I make homemade lemonade in my blender. It's a whole lemon, cut up of course, with two cups of water and three tablespoons of granulated sugar. The zest of the lemon adds this bright acidity. It is just so easy and it is so refreshingly good and everybody loves it. How about making the fluffiest scrambled eggs? Blender. Nut flowers from scratch? Blender. Quick salsa in my blender. And listen here. Even divine whipped cream, oh, that perked you up, can be simply made in the blender. I honestly think that making whipped cream in my blender works better than it does with an electric mixer. You literally turn it on and you let it get amazing. Plus, I add in a little bit of honey or better yet, maple syrup or even better than that, triple sec. And then you send it spinning all around for a second and you get the most fluffy, yummy, delicious whipped cream ever, you have to try it. You literally pour whipping cream into the blender and turn it on until it's thick. Seriously speaking, I am a blender addict. I admitted it. There you go. And once you step into the realm of high-powered, high-quality blenders, you may be surprised at just how many uses there are for them. I never even put my blender away. It sits on the counter because... The possibilities are endless. And I would love to know what you do with the brilliance of your blender. Please email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. And in food news this week, ah, this is a twofer from the over-enthusiastic chairman to the mystery ingredients. We love our Iron Chef America, don't we? Well, we did. Needless to say, we've lived without it for about two and a half years, and it's been tough, right? Well, I have fantastic news that the Food Network delivered just this past week. The wait is over. The Iron Chef America reboot that you've been waiting for returns to the Food Network next month, that is April, in the form of a new show called Iron Chef Gauntlet. 
Fan favorite Alton Brown will officially return to host. I know him from my cutthroat kitchen days. He's a crazy genius, really. And he will be joined by Iron Chef veterans Bobby Flay, Morimoto, and Michael Simon. Now, the format, by the way, is going to be a little bit different. It's sort of a combination of Top Chef and Iron Chef America. And it will feature seven competitors competing for a prize. Once the winner among those seven is determined, he or she will move on to the gauntlet and batter Morimoto, Simon, or Flay. And I can't wait to watch. And a double dose of food news, as promised. For those particularly long, grueling days when your brain needs caffeine, but your heart needs a drink, wine-infused coffee has arrived. You heard it right. After two years of working on the perfect infusion, Napa Valley winemaker Molinari Private Reserve and coffee roaster Wild Card Roasters have developed what they're considering the ultimate cup. They are coffee beans rehydrated in a house-made wine that is red, created specifically for a morning brew. And it supposedly has that rich, full-bodied coffee flavor with a blueberry note that comes from wine grapes. The partnership means that you can sip on a much-needed afternoon pick-me-up while you enjoy the flavors of happy hour. (laughs) It sounds quite fantastic, doesn't it? The beans are currently being sold in limited quantities. I have personally yet to taste them, but do let me know if you're drinking coffee and wine together and how it is, of course. And that will make for great dinner party conversation, don't you think? And of course, do not touch your dial because there is lots more to set your culinary sights higher. Right after this, I'll give you a reason to overeat. (laughs) I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with more fabulous food right after this. of food directly to your radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. The holidays are here too, and gratefully, so is Debbie Lilly. Debbie is Oprah Winfrey's favorite party pro, and she was voted best wedding planner by Martha Stewart Weddings. She believes in elegant and easy designs for all, and you can clearly see her fabulous style painted on the pages of her book and magazine, both entitled A Perfect Event. She's here to share her secrets to party perfection, to maximize the fun and minimize the stress. Debbie Lilly, celebrity entertaining and design expert, is joining us live. 
Hi, Debbie. I'm glad to have you. Hello. Okay, can you inspire us, please? Because you can feel the passion on the pages of your book. And I loved the ideas and the secrets that you share, but how do you find inspiration for your next event? You know, we spend lots of time traveling twice a year in Paris, really researching design trends and food trends and party trends, color. And we love bringing that back to all of our parties, celebrity parties, the girl next door parties. And we really have so much fun taking all of that and putting it into a collection it's easy, affordable, and accessible. Debbie Lilly Design, which is available right inside Albertson's Bon Pavilion. And we call that Grocery to Gorgeous. See, I think that's brilliant because we are a convenience nation, right? So if you can plan a party from your local grocery store, then you've made that ease of use, that, you know, very doable concept out of what is always, I think, been considered, you know, the, the challenge and the, the drag of entertaining. So what is the trend and what can we expect for, for next year? What are you seeing? What are you putting on your tables? So the big trends this season, lots and lots of mixed metals. You know, a lot of the trends they pull right from the runways. We design right off the runways onto the table and coppers, cool. gold, silvers, these are all beautiful in vases and candles in runners and silverware. And you can fill your vases with, you know, mixed blooms that are very European and textural, really beautiful hydrangeas, spray roses, berry. All of that adds so many layers to your table. And that's such a big trend is, you know, mix in candles, put a runner down the table to add a base layer, have you know, beautiful little details at each place setting. Like for the winter holidays, it's really fun to put just a little sprig of hypericum berry. That's a really pretty berry right in the floral department. Cut a little sprig of it, put it on each of your napkins, and that's such a pretty little detail but very fast and easy to execute. I love the fresh approach. I actually like to do that. I'll pick flowers from... Uh, my garden, or even use like rosemary sprigs and fresh herbs as a, a small place setting holder, like in a little jar. I love that that fresh pop, and it, I agree. It really does add a culinary aspect to the table too. Yeah, and to me, those details are what make the difference. Something like a rosemary sprig, so you could get that right in the produce department. You can add that into flowers, having that herbal touch in your flowers on your place setting, even as a garnish in your cocktail, whether it be uh, champagne or a fun whiskey cocktail, even apple cider. Rosemary, to me, is great in design details, not just food, because it's very, very hearty. It's not going to wilt and that sort of thing like basil or mint will. So we use rosemary in everything. Love it. And can we reuse, repurpose? Are there easy changes? I know you call them holiday hacks, which I love. Absolutely. To me, your gold from Thanksgiving, your coppers from Thanksgiving, your greens from Thanksgiving, they're just as pretty for all the winter holidays. You can take your, you know, coppers and golds and you can fill them with beautiful reds and greens for Christmas. You can take your coppers and your golds and you can fill them with beautiful whites and neutrals for Hanukkah and New Year's Eve and other winter celebrations. We really design around repurposing, reusing, multifunction, so that our collection has really great value. And the other thing is we're really working hard 
on social media, Facebook, Instagram, to show you every single month, now here's what you can do in January, now here's what you can do in February, because people want to invest in something that's great quality, but that you can also get inspired to reuse over and over. It makes it a lot more fun and a lot more you know, valuable as a, a purchase. It's certainly so. I mean, it's far more cost effective if you can reuse, repurpose it. And I love the idea of this uh, embracing this hodgepodge kind of collection that you can mix and match and not everything has to be matchy matchy and all the silverware perfect. There's something really rustic about it, which makes me feel more comfortable in setting a table. Um, When it comes to dessert, I love your DIY approach. Uh, you, you are all about do-it-yourself. I really am because, to me, it's fun to throw parties for clients, but it's also maybe even a little more fun to inspire and share with people how easy they can follow the same sort of tricks and tips and trends into their own parties. So one of my favorites for a holiday party, actually any party, but especially the holidays, is a big dessert bar where you are setting our charger plates. Now, instead of a charger at your plate setting, you put them on a big buffet and they become a platter. And you can put cupcakes on that and put a little fresh flower on top of each cupcake. You can take our vases, which are designed to be very food-based. You can fill them with cookies. And all of a sudden, now it's a cookie bar. And there's mm-hmm. such beautiful cookies inside the bakery, you know, I'm a big believer, you do not have to make everything from scratch. You can really rely on your favorite bakery to help you with that part so that you're just focusing for your holiday meal on the proteins and kind of the bigger items on the table. And you can have all these beautiful little tiny, you know, a dozen plus different options if you don't put the pressure on yourself to make everything from scratch. Yeah, store-bought to homemade. I'm all for it. Me too. No doubt. And even, you know, pulling that savory trend in, you can have pretty little glasses, little coupe champagne glasses. You can fill them with a wonderful organic popcorn. You can add in some banana chips, some dried cherries, some fun little colorful candies, and boom, you instantly have a really fun, festive little savory trend that plays really nicely on a dessert bar or as a favor or as an hors d'oeuvre as well. Fabulous. Uh, Where can we go to follow your inspiration, to gain decor ideas throughout the holiday season and then, of course, into the new year? So everything, of course, is right inside Albertsons, Vons, and Pavilions. And we have so much online, albertsons.com slash Debbie Lilly or vons.com slash Debbie Lilly or (laughs) pavilions.com slash Debbie Lilly. There's so many images and DIYs and videos that we'd love to share. Terrific. Well, congratulations to you. I know it was your lifelong dream to pen a book, and there is no doubt that your vision is illustrated on every page. It is inspired, easy elegance for every occasion, the stylist secrets, the grocery to gorgeous recipes from Debbie Lilly, celebrity entertainer, design expert, uh, making your holidays easy and beautiful. Great inspiration, Debbie. Congratulations. Thank you for sharing your passion. Cheers. Cheers to you. you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. As the delicious conversation continues, we're doing everything from setting the table to feeding a crowd. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. There's more fabulous food right after this.
Love to cook, live to eat? Well, then this is your show. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as the culinary conversation continues. Wander down almost any road in Mexico and the exquisite aromas will draw you to one of the many restaurants or street stalls. It's the tantalizing smells of spices and herbs, the slow-roasted pork, the colorful salsas. If you will travel for food, then take a journey with us. Joanna Pruce has been eating her way through the Yucatan Peninsula and hasn't found a dish she doesn't like. Joanna is an award-winning author whose cooking articles and recipes have appeared in the New York Times Sunday Magazine, The Washington Post, Food Arts, Savour, and Food and Wine Magazine. I am proud to call her my friend, and she and I love to post on delicious dishes. We love to dish as well. Her many cookbooks will inspire you, but she's here to share a preview of some of the many scrumptious foods you can find on offer in the spicy region that is the Yucatan. And I can't wait to hear all about your trip. Hello, friend. Well, hello there. How are you? I'm well, and you? Well, I just had trip of a lifetime. I And, and I know you're full because I read <laughs> all about it. Um, put us first on the map, Joanna. Where exactly is the Yucatan Peninsula? So the Yucatan Peninsula sits between the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. And for people who are beach bums, they're probably going to go to the east side, which is Playa del Carmen and Cancun. Yes, of course. And And if you're like me, fair-skinned, sun-phobic, not big on loud resorts, head west, head almost to the west coast of the peninsula, the top west part, to the capital of the Yucatan, Merida. Merida. Okay, so I have not been, but I'm looking forward to go. I don't know much about the Yucatecans, right, or their culture. But it has a tremendous amount of Mayan history, I know, and the food is steeped, steeped in in wonderful tradition. And I would say you're right. And I would say that Yucatan food is quite unique. You, they have a lot of distinct pastes, um, like a chote paste, and they use it to make, you know, there are a lot of moles throughout Mexico. Yes. And Oaxaca, for example, has seven moles, and Puebla has moles, but... Hmm. In Merida and the Yucatan, they make a yellow paste from the achote, and it's called mole amarillo. And the food here is different. As I said, it's a lot of seed-based. It's a lot of plant-based. But there are some very distinct characteristics. And what I think is amazing is, first of all, the Mayans have been in this area since 2500 B.C. Wow. But between 300 and 1,000 A.D., they built very famous cities. If you're at all into UNESCO World Heritage Sites, you've heard of Chichen Itza. There's a smaller version that I went to, and I'll talk about in a minute, called Ushmal. There is such a vitality here. But what so, was so surprising to me was the town of Merida. Merida is the capital of the Yucatan. It has a million inhabitants or residents. And it doesn't even feel like a big city. It feels like a Mm. vibrant city. Uh, Most of the residents are in the suburbs, and it's peaceful, and it's beautiful. And while the the Mayan characteristics are seen everywhere, I was telling you earlier about the period of time between the 
early 1800s to the end of World War One, when this was Merida was said to be the richest city in the world. So if you want to hear about it, ask me some questions. Yes, of course. Okay, I want to know why it's said rich history is uh, very much credited with, is it called sizal? It is. And you know what sizal is? It's like, have you ever seen sizal rugs um, and rope? Yes, it's woven, a texture, fabric. It's a very coarse fiber. And these, these plants, these hennequin plants, it turns out they could make a rope that was very, very durable. And this is the era when the giant sailing ships were going back and forth across the oceans, and, mm-hmm. and sailing could be very perilous, and they had to latch down their cargo. And this could endure very hot weather, very cold weather, very wet weather, very dry weather. So these henequineros, these people who made this rope, became multimillionaires. Hmm. And with that wealth came great food and progress, I know. So tell us what you ate, because there really is a very burgeoning culinary scene in the Yucatan with with big-name chefs and talents and very sophisticated restaurants. Indeed. So between, there are two, well, let me just rewind. There is one major tradition in the Yucatan, and that is preserving their foodways and their and their culture in food. And so between a chef called David Satina, his restaurant is called Tradicion, okay. which is exactly based on traditions. Mm. Um, he's been cooking these traditional dishes since 1973. And an example is... It, Again, back to these sailing ships, during the time the Dutch came over, and one of the things that they brought over to the Yucatan was Edam cheese. Who would have known Edam cheese? Why was Edam cheese so popular? Because it was wrapped in red wax, and it could bounce all over the the hold in the the (laughs) ship, and it still arrived in one piece. And it's still popular today. It is popular, and so what's interesting is that you have somebody like David Satina who is doing very traditional. He did a dish where he hollowed out the Edam cheese, the, the, whole, the whole ball of it, and he made a filling with pork and chilies and cinnamon and oh. vinegar and olives and raisins and capers and hard-cooked eggs. And then he's got a couple of sauces on it. He has, you know, episodi, which we always put in black beans. Yes, and You of know course. why we put it in black beans? Because I think it gets rid of flatulence. Yes. Um. And it has another sauce on it. So that is the, the most traditional of the ways that you would see Edam cheese. We are eating and drinking the Yucatan. More with Joanna Pruce and her culinary travels right after the break. Welcome back. Delicious feasts to you, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. My friend and author Joanna Pruce is here, and she's taking us on a culinary journey of the Yucatan. And then tell us about the other best dishes. Did you eat pibil, the suckling pig? Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) But I wanted to, if I could just tell you for a moment, the contemporary tradition of using these, the contemporary chefs are using these foods 
for example, Roberta Solis at Nectar, he also used this cheese as a pureed base for a contemporary cauliflower steak with a pancetta and parsley vinaigrette. Very progressive. Very progressive. He also served us a smoked charred onion with a chili mayonnaise. Mm. And so what happens is you know that you're eating history, which is what I love to do, and you're also dissecting it, but you're tasting a lot of things that are very modern. And that I kept finding all throughout um, Merida. And there's a restaurant called Apawala that is right on the border of Parque St. Lucia. And along with their spectacular mezcal margaritas, they, of course, sold us, uh, sold us, served us chapulinas. You know what chapulinas are? I don't know it. Oh, you must know. They're fried grasshoppers. And before I ever went, having written three Mexican cookbooks, I kept saying, oh, I guess I better try them. They're, They're okay. But they also served us fabulous, crunchy zucchini flowers that were stuffed with Oaxacan cheese mm. and mole amarillo, this yes. um, yellow um, this mm. yellow, yellow mole. I read all about that. In the article that you wrote about your travels, I was drooling as well when I read about Mercado 60. I want to go oh. there. <laughs> well, there's two things. If when, you're, when you've really had enough um, local food, there are two places to go. One is to go to Mercado 60, which is like an uber-chic food hall. Yes. And it's very friendly. They have live music. They have communal tables and wonderful Mexican craft beer, craft beers and great desserts, fabulous ice cream. The other place that I loved absolutely was a restaurant called Oliva Kitchen. Uh, the chef, Stefano Laconda, his mother is Mexican, but his father's Roman. And if you want... I think spectacular Roman comfort food. This is the place to head to. You get in, your ravioli alla romana and oh. your Roman-style meatballs, and oh, my goodness. In the Yucatan, of all places. I think oh, that's yeah, truly but- extraordinary. Thank you for taking us to the Yucatan, um, albeit a virtual tour. I can't. Well, you'll come with me. I was going to say I can't wait to go back. <laughs> Follow her at Joanna Pruess. It's P R U E S S. Joanna, I'll talk to you soon. No matter where you go, eat for me, please. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. All uh, my best. Uh, my best to you. As the delicious conversation continues, there is more fabulous food, wine, and travel in your radio right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. We do have the best culinary thinkers on this show, and it is with great delight and thrill that we welcome back Patricia Wells. Famed journalist, author, and teacher, Patricia is the author of 15 cookbooks, a two-time James Beard Award winner, and the acclaimed cooking educator who runs her very popular cooking schools in Paris and Provence. I am proud to call her my friend, and I will tell you every time Patricia graces this show, I absolutely feel empowered to cook. Her new collection of recipes entitled My Master Recipes just released, and it is an inspiring collection that you must add to your repertoire so that you too can build confidence and skill in the kitchen. Patricia is stopping by to dish, and I am so thrilled to have you back on the radio. Bonjour, Patricia. Hi. Uh, Bonjour. (laughs) 
Jenny, it's great to be back with you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tell us, how is life in Paris and Provence? Catch us up, please. It's good. It's wonderful. It's kind of a rainy day here now, but Paris (laughs) has been kind of rainy and drizzly, but it's still Paris, Paris, and Provence is getting very, very warm, and we're going to have, I think, have an early spring, so that's that's all good news. Well, of course. And, and for you, that means getting to the heart of seasonal cooking, which I know exactly. you yes. love and pride yourself asparagus on. Asparagus is in. Yes. It's, it's, I love it. I love it. Strawberries are already out. And, and, and beautiful peas. and Peas, fresh garlic. All, oh. the, all the loveliness of spring. I love that the new cookbook, the, your 15th, is structured right. around the fundamental techniques that you teach in your classes. To me, that's very right. tried and true. Well, you know, I, I, you know, instead of doing a traditional cookbook of first courses, appetizers, you know, fish, shellfish, whatever, it seemed to me after watching my students for years and years, I realized that even the simplest techniques, such as just blanching, mm-hmm. they weren't sure why they were doing it, exactly how, the hows and whys and the yeses and the nos. And the other thing is often students will walk in the first day and just say to me, I don't bake. <laughs> and so I realized I wanted to get people out of this fear of, you know, of baking or of deep frying and understanding why they should blanch and what they should steam and so on and so forth. But also in the process, you know, I learned a lot because I realized I wasn't always sure what was the best way to do everything. So it, it made me kind of focus in a different way. It's really interesting to me. You talk so much about having confidence in the kitchen. And I very much agree with that. I've always said, have a signature recipe. Find one or two things that you're really good at that are your go-to that you can make knowing that they'll always come out successfully for friends or family or Wednesday night. But that confidence is so important in building a repertoire. Exactly. And, you know, I always tell people if – if somebody's coming to your house for dinner, first of all, they're coming to see you, not just for your food. But, you know, right. I know, don't, I mean, this happens too. I'm sure you think, oh, we're going to Sherry's tonight. I hope she does that great, you know, chicken dish she always does. And so, you, you know, you're known for something. You're famous for something. And that's wonderful. It's easy and gives you that confidence of your, of your own. Definitely. So let's review a few methods and techniques so that by the end of our conversation, we're all better cooks. Would you mind? Right. Okay. Every great cook should master blanching, you say. And I agree. Okay. Blanching is very simple. It's cooking an ingredient like peas or green beans in lots of heavily salted boiling water, cooking just until it's tender, and then refreshing it either in ice water or under a really cold bath in in a sieve. And one that stops the cooking, and also for green vegetables, it really keeps them nice and green. And bright, yes. They don't turn army drab gray. And if you can master that, to me, those are the little things that make you look like a pro. Those bright, crisp, al dente green beans with the artichoke salad and the hazel vinaig- uh, hazelnut vinaigrette, rather, that you share. I can't wait to make. I love that oh, combination. It's so beautiful, and it's... It's simple. And quince. It's, well, it's not as simple with the artichokes, but it's, um, it's, it's really worth doing. It's yes. really worth doing. And quintessential spring. And braising, one of my favorite lazy techniques. And I think it should be a year-round staple. Braising, like you do, chicken with eggplant, chickpeas, pine nuts, and a garlic yogurt sauce. Yum. Exactly. That's fabulous. Or... Uh, a pork, braised pork, um, braised lamb, all those are dishes that 
they really take no time at all. You know, the cooking is done while you're off doing something else. <clears throat> but also, you have great leftovers. You can freeze part of it. Mm-hmm. You can make it in advance. Um, mm. What more can you ask of a dish? Oh, I agree. And I cannot wait to cook and bake from the new book. Thank you, Patricia, for stopping by, for sharing your knowledge and passion with us. I hope you'll come back soon. Congratulations once again. And I look forward to seeing you in Paris. Jamie, thank you very much. See you soon. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration and conversation that feeds your soul. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit for today. I bought some salmon this past week and felt inspired, but it was raining, so I didn't fire up the grill. I happen to love broiling salmon because it's such a delicate meat that cooks so fast. That blast of heat on the outside is enough for a salmon steak or a filet to cook through just perfectly. It still retains its natural juices and its moisture. And I have to say, my broiled Thai salmon hit the spot. You get a perfect amount of heat and sweet. And you know I love super simple recipes. So my three-ingredient Broiled Thai salmon includes salmon fillets, this sweet chili sauce you buy in a bottle, and some chopped green onions. You just lay the salmon fillets down in a baking dish. You season with a little bit of salt and pepper, and you drizzle with some Thai sweet chili sauce, and then brush or rub with your fingers to coat the fish with that sauce. I like to marinate it for at least a couple of hours, best overnight if you have time. And then I broil about four to five inches from the heat source in my oven just until the filet is cooked through. Took about seven or eight minutes for mine. Finish it with the green onions and a little extra sauce, maybe brown rice or quinoa on the side, and you have a delectable dish. I'll post the Thai salmon recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And I hope to meet you here next Sunday for more fabulous food in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.